If you would, go ahead, grab your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 13 together. On this Memorial Day weekend, it's only fitting that we talk about sacrifice and service. The meaning of this weekend is perfectly summed up in one of the most famous speeches in all of American history. It's also one of the shortest presidential speeches. It was given November 19th, 1863. The speech says this. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us the living rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us here to be dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people, shall not perish from this earth. That, of course, is the Gettysburg Address as written and given by President Abraham Lincoln. And as noble of a cause as the preservation of the Union, as noble as honoring those who have fought and indeed died to give the freedoms that you and I continue to have to this day. To the church, we have a greater cause and a greater call. Our cause is the proclamation of the gospel. And our call is to take it to all nations. This is what we must give our lives for. Whether we live here or whether God sends us someplace else. Our lives are to be about one person, Jesus Christ. And one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how? Well, the one big thing this morning is simply this. That we learn what it means to be a servant by watching and following Jesus' example. Let's look at it as it plays out in Scripture this morning. John chapter 13. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and ask if you would stand as we honor God's Word together. <coughs> now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. 
And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every way. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know you what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity just to be able to come into your house and to worship. And Father, we thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. The freedom to be able to come and to assemble ourselves in a house of worship at any time. Not having threat of persecution, prison, or even being killed for our faith. And Lord, we know that it is you who have given us these freedoms. And they have been valiantly fought for and defended by many who have served in each branch of the military. Father, we pray for their families, especially those this weekend who are remembering the loss of a loved one. Father, may we continue on this cause, but even more so as the church, may we further the call of the gospel. And so as we study your word, Lord God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, the one big thing is this, that we learn what it means to be a servant by watching and following Jesus' example. So what example did Jesus set for us in this text? Well, it is this. Jesus models humble service. Now, we want to set the backdrop of John chapter 13 because this isn't just another meal with his disciples and a long list of meals with his disciples. This one takes on special meaning because it's the last meal Jesus is going to have with his disciples before the crucifixion. It is this night that Jesus knows one of the men who is sitting at the table with him one of the people that are going to serve, that he's going to serve, they're going to betray him. And in that betrayal, they will set in motion the events that would lead to seven unfair trials. That would lead to God, Jesus being mocked, beaten, spit upon, scourged, 
and ultimately ending in his crucifixion. Jesus knows all of this as he's sitting down having this meal. This is the backdrop of John chapter 13. And so in light of that, there's a couple things that I think we should point out. The first one is this. We see that Jesus is aware of what's coming. Look there in verse 3. It says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and they was from, that he was come from God and he went to God. Jesus knew by the time this night is over, the events that will lead to me going back and spending the rest of eternity in heaven with my Father, they're going to transpire. He understands all of this. And it leads me to ask this question. If you knew that you only had a few hours left to live, would you be willing to use those final hours serving other people? Putting their needs ahead of yours. Or would you go, you know what? I think I'm just going to kind of sit back and, and do kind of what I want. You know, I, I'm going to spend my last few hours enjoying what I have of my life. I think a lot of times that's how we, we look at things. Especially when you know that one of these guys that you're going to serve, he's going to betray you. And he's going to set in motion all of these events. Which leads to the second thing that we ought to observe in this text when we talk about Jesus modeling humble service. And it's this, that Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Now let me ask you this. Do you like serving somebody who is going to betray you, be mean to you, who is going to use you? How many of you want to go, you know what, I... I know you're going to be a jerk to me right now, but I kind of want to serve you. Here, let me make your life better. But this is what we see Jesus doing. When somebody hurts us, how willing are we to go serve them? How quick are we to forgive them in what they do? Jesus here is putting into action the words that he said on the Sermon on the Mount. (coughs) Excuse me. When he said to love your enemies... And to bless those who persecute you and spitefully use you. So don't, don't withhold good from them. Serve them. Give them good despite how they treat you. And the reality is that if anybody had the right to demand to be served, it was Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is not only 100% man, but he is also 100% God. We can see in the opening of John's gospel that Jesus was present during creation. If anybody deserved to be served, it was the creator. Yet what we see is someone lovingly, humbly submitting themselves, stepping into this world that they created and stooping down to serve the creation. What does this ultimately show us? It really shows us two things. First, no one is above serving. If we ever have the mentality, I've served my time. I'm just going to sit back. We are denying the truth of the gospel that bought us. But it also shows us that no one is below being served. We see over and over the love 
that Jesus shows. Now, the point of the foot washing isn't the action. So often we get caught up in the action of the, the foot washing. The reality is people can arrogantly and pridefully wash somebody else's feet. Now, you and I, we don't necessarily practice foot washing as part of uh, normal worship. So let's put this maybe into 2019 terms. It's possible for us to go through the motions of religion and still not have a relationship with Jesus. It's possible to go to church. It's possible to read your Bible and to pray and to do all of these things out of a moral obligation rather than loving devotion. It's not always about what we do, but it is always about why we do it. If I'm doing it because it's what I'm supposed to do. Hey, it's Sunday. What are you going to do today? Well, Sunday, I'm going to church. Or I'm going to pray or read the Bible or whatever just because that's what I'm supposed to do or expected to do that we have to understand God is not glorified and His blessing is not on our life. God says that more than sacrifice or offering, what He desires is our heart. He desires loving, humble service to those as an act of worship and gratefulness for what He has done for us. So how do we apply this? I'm just going to give you one point of application. And it's this. Serve others. Now, here's the thing. I didn't see anybody start writing that down on their outline. Nobody grabbed their smartphone and went, you know, to social media. Breaking news. Pastor just said something radical. We ought to serve people. Why? Because we know we're supposed to do that. Right? I didn't tell you anything groundbreaking right there. But can we just be honest? Sometimes it's hard to serve other people. Sometimes people are jerks. They're not nice to us. They don't treat us the way that we should be treated. And so we're struggling with I'm supposed to love you and serve you but I see you and I hear you and, and I got to be really honest I don't like you how am I going to serve you right why is it that we struggle to do this we struggle because we live in a sinful fallen world because of the fall of man what comes natural to us is to want to be served it's natural for us to go <coughs> I did my time. Y'all take it from here. But the reality is that as long as God has given us breath in our body, we are called to serve Him as a form of worship and gratefulness to what He's done for us. Now you and I may not serve the same way that we've always served, but if we're still here, we've got a job to do. And that's to love God and to serve other people people we're sinners by birth and by choice and so it is natural for us not to want to serve or to share like have you ever gone to a nursery they don't play well with others they don't have to be taught that do they now I, i'm saying this as a father of four i love my kids 
And at times, they are terrible sharers. Why? Because they've got the car I want to play with and they won't let me. It's not natural for us to share. It's not natural for us to serve. Because in our sin nature, we want everything we can get and we want to eliminate any threat that tries to take what we've got. But listen to what Jesus says, Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whosoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why do we serve? Because Jesus served us. And he served us not only in the foot washing context, but he served us in the greatest and highest, most possible way. He died in our place to forgive us of our sins, to give us a relationship that on our own we could never have. Why do I serve? Not because I have to, but because I just simply want to say thank you, Lord, for what you've done to me and done for me. This is the motivation of our service. And the only way to do this is to be transformed by God. Now, how are we transformed by God? By having a relationship with Him. You see, in our sin nature, it's not in us to go and serve. But when we surrender to God's grace, when we allow the understanding that there's nothing I can do that will save me. There's not enough good works I could do to earn my way into heaven. When I understand that and I surrender to the grace of God, that the only way I can be saved is not in what I've done, but what Jesus did for me then the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And He begins to transform us. Because I have a new heart by relationship with Jesus. He changes the way I think. He changes the way I talk. He changes the way I live. And so now as a believer with the Spirit living inside of me, I am no longer living for myself, but rather I have died to myself so I'm alive to God to serve Him and glorify Him. And guess what the number one way I can glorify and serve Him? By serving others. So what Jesus got at there in Matthew chapter 25 when He says, As you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, so you have done it to me. <coughs> Excuse me. Church, we have got to come to the understanding that loving God means I'm going to love others. How do I demonstrate my love for you? By serving you. But it can't be out of moral obligation. Something happens in verses 13 and 14 in the text. (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus flips the word order. Notice in verse 13, he says, you call me master and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. Now the word master there means teacher. Teacher. But notice what he then does in verse 14. 
If I then, your Lord, teacher, your Lord and master, what is he driving at? A lot of times, what we do is we do what we see others do. Jesus was the teacher. And so a good student would copy what the teacher did. In the 90s, they came out with this great slogan. How many of you remember WWJD? What does it stand for? What would Jesus do? And people would go, okay, all you got to do is ask, what would Jesus do? And then go do that and life's going to be good. If you want to be a religious person. The problem is religion hasn't saved one person, but it has condemned many to hell. Jesus is saying, your motivation isn't just do it because you saw me do it. Rather, your motivation it should be this. I am your Lord. What does it mean to be Lord? It means to be master. To be the one in control of it all. The one calling the shots. See, when I come to Christ in faith, I'm dying to myself. I'm taking myself off the throne, and I'm putting the rightful king on the throne. King Jesus. I'm never a free agent morally. I'm either serving myself or I'm serving Jesus. And so Jesus is saying here in verse 14, if I am your Lord, then you're going to do this. If you're one of mine, it's going to be evident. See, one thing that's unfortunately happened in American Christianity is this. We've created a culture where people say, oh, Jesus is my Savior, but He's not their Lord. What happens is they walk an aisle, they say a prayer, they go, woohoo, I'm saved for my sin, you know, I'm a child of God, but then they go out and they live however they want. And this is a false teaching. Because for Jesus to truly be the Savior of my life necessitates that He is now the Lord of my life. I love the way Dr. Adrian Rogers put it. (coughs) He said He is either Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. You cannot go with Jesus and stay where you are. You cannot be God's and still living for yourself. And our motivation should be, I want to love you, Lord. You having a problem in your marriage? Here's the answer. Love Jesus more. You got unruly kids? Love Jesus more. You got a problem with a boss or a co-worker? The answer is to love Jesus more. Because the more I love Jesus, the more I'm going to become like Jesus. And the more I'm going to be transformed into his image. So the answer to all of our problems is very simply this. We have to learn to love Jesus more. It's as simple and as complicated as that. Because when I love Jesus the way I should, I'm going to love others. Why? Because Jesus loved others. And as evidence of loving them, I'm going to serve them. Again, I'm going to point you to Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. True love always involves sacrifice. 
So the question begin, is this, where does our service begin? And Jesus actually answers it in verse 14. Verse 14 says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, he's talking to the disciples, so he's saying that our service begins in the church. Now, why is that? Because it is a testimony and a witness to the power of the gospel. If you were to look at it, just even those in this service, forget 8.30. Just look at the people in this service. There are different ages. There are different backgrounds. There are different socioeconomic statuses, different education levels, different uh, numbers of uh, church exposure. There are probably even different political persuasions all in this room right now. So what does it mean by you being here? It means that Jesus is greater at uniting us than that which divides us. Why do I serve you? Why do you serve (coughs) others? Because we're grateful for what Jesus has done for us. That's a a testimony to the world around us. Because they're going, you guys are so vastly different. Why are you serving one another? Let me tell you about a man named Jesus and what he did for my life. Now this doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to the people outside of the church. We don't step back and go, well, you know, I would serve you, but you're not really a believer, so I don't have to. Alright? That that is blatantly denying the gospel. We're not turning a blind eye to those outside of the faith. But it means that we are focusing and beginning with those in the faith. Where do we see it else in the scripture? The apostle Paul says it this way, Galatians 6 and verse 10. So that as you have opportunity, do good to everyone, especially them or the household of the faith. So we see Jesus and Paul's teaching saying that we begin our service within the church. And our service naturally radiates out from that. The spiritual gifts that are talked about in the New Testament, they're given by God to the church to glorify Him, build up the body so that it goes further. This is the understanding that we are to have. The root of our service is this, a love for God and a gratefulness that he died in my place. If we are serving for any other reason, God is not glorified and his blessing is not on our life. Now that's not to say that you're not doing good things. It's just saying that we're not doing the God honoring thing. And remember, on our own, we would do this. Not only would we not do it, we wouldn't want to. But not only does Jesus give us the example, but he also gives us the power. <coughs> we see verse 7. What I do, thou knowest not now. In other words, you don't understand what I'm doing at this point. But notice, you will hereafter. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he comes there and he mentions it in John chapter 14 and verse 26. He says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said to you. On our own, we can't do this. 
But as I submit my life to Jesus, He empowers me to love Him, to love you and to serve you the way we're called to. So here's the takeaway from this passage. Who can you serve this week? Hold on, it comes with a caveat. We're not talking about spouses serving each other. We ought to be doing that anyway. We're not talking about parents serving the children and the children serving the parents. Again, you ought to be doing that anyway. When we talk about who can you serve, what we mean is this. Who can you serve who has hurt you? Who maybe you have a fundamental disagreement with. Somebody who may not even like you. See, Jesus was this way. If you love those who love you, what are you doing different in the world? If you serve those who can serve you, <coughs> what have you really done? See, an evidence that we have been saved and transformed by the gospel <coughs> is not that we serve and love those who love us back, but rather that we love those who have hurt us. And we serve them, even though maybe deep down inside we're struggling to love them the way we should. One of my favorite hymns is Jesus Paid It All. The opening of the chorus says this, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. This is the reality that Jesus paid a debt that we owe, that we could have a life that we could never deserve. And because of that, and because every good gift and perfect gift comes from above, James says, we owe him everything because he gave us everything. So what does that mean for us this morning? Well, for some of you this morning, it means this. It means you need to let go of your self-righteousness and instead have God's righteousness. Stop trusting in yourself to be good enough. Stop believing that you can do enough good things to merit God's love. Some of you, with all due respect, are serving in, in places because you want God to love you. And I want you to hear this. You cannot do anything that will make God love you more than He already does. And the other beautiful part of that is this. You cannot do anything dumb enough Trust me, I've tried. To make God love you any less than He already does. You see, the truth of the matter is God loves us not because I have anything to give Him. Not because you have anything to give Him. (coughs) The Scriptures say this, that God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were lost bound for hell, completely void of God, not loving Him, caring about Him, Jesus says, I'm going to show you love by dying in your place. This is why Scripture says, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so for some of you, you need to lay down your works and simply surrender to God's grace. Be forgiven of your sins. You have not committed a sin so grave 
that the grace of God cannot save you fully and completely. For some of you this morning, it means you need to take a two-ton rock off your shoulder. Well, it's invisible to everybody else. But it's a rock of anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. Somebody has wounded you deeply. They have offended you greatly. And because of it, you're not serving them. You're willing to serve and love everybody else, but not them. Jesus says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. It's time to lay down that burden. It's time to release them from your death. Some of you here this morning, what this means in all I owe is this. You love serving everybody else. You get joy in serving other people. That's awesome. But then somebody comes alongside and goes, hey, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I serve you? And you go, nope, I'm good. I don't, I'm good. I don't need a thing. In Jesus' name, please hear this. This is your pride speaking. If you get joy out of being able to serve other people, <coughs> then why are you going to rob others of that same joy? If God uses you to be a blessing to others, then allow Him to use somebody else to be a blessing to you. Now I get it. I have asked an awful lot right there in the last 10 minutes. Some of you are probably going, I hear you, preacher. I see it, but I don't know. What gives you the right to ask that? I'm glad you asked. That's an astute question. There are two reasons that I have the right to ask you this question. And they're found both right here. Reason number one. We ask this question because I assure you, there is no one who has done anything more to you or worse to you than Judas did to Jesus, and Jesus still loved Judas and served him. Reason number two, there is no one in this world who has ever hurt you worse than you have hurt Jesus. It was for our sin he went to the cross. It is our rebellion, our prideful, our jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness, all these things <coughs> that Jesus took on the sin of the world for him. You may not like this, but there is a little Judas in all of us. And if Jesus could serve and love Judas, and we are Judas, then we need to be able to love Jesus and serve others. Would you stay with me as we're going to pray together? 
Father, as we move deeper into this service, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity just to come into worship with my brothers and sisters. Father, there's been a heavy, heavy weight essentially laid on us this morning. But it's not ours to carry. Because you say that your yoke is light. Father, inside of us, we could not do this. But as your children, your Holy Spirit empowers us to do this. Father, I pray for every person who is here this morning. For some, they have come in having been rejecting your grace over and over. They have listened to the lies of Satan that you couldn't love them. That they have done something so terrible that you could never forgive them. Father God, I pray this morning that they have heard the truth. That your grace is greater than all their sin. That your love is pursuing them. Calling to them to surrender to your grace. To be saved today. Lord, would they just begin to talk to you right now. Lord, not having to have everything figured out about Christianity. I haven't have all the answers. Lord, just being willing to, to admit that they have been sinning because they've been rejecting you. They've been trying to be a good enough person or do enough good things. Lord, now they know that they can, but you did. Father, for those who came in here hurting, carrying this weight of bitterness. Lord, I pray this morning they would simply lay it down. That they would trust that you are enough. That you are able to avenge all injustices. And that one day you will make all things right. Doesn't mean here and now to simply trust that you will make all things right one day. Father, maybe there are those who are carrying some pride with them. They want to be the helper, but they think it's weakness to be helped. Father, may they see the truth of your word. That none of us would be where we are without you. We can never let you down because we're never holding you up. It's you who's holding us up. It's you who's carrying us by your grace. So Father, let us rightly view ourselves and to admit when we need help. And may we look to you for that help and know that you will use others. Fathers, we sing praises to your name as we prepare to leave this place. I'm asking you to move in the hearts and lives of those who are here. Clinging and claiming the promise that as the word of God goes out, it will not return void, 
but it will accomplish what you desire. So, Father, I simply pray, have your way, and may your will be done in us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we're standing, we're going to sing one more song here that that Brittany's going to lead us in. Just as I am, I come broken. The altar's open. You can come. I'll pray with you. You can pray here by yourself. If there's a way we can help, please let us know. Let's respond in worship together.